Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case file number 07. Marjorie Nugent. So, sister, where does our crime take us this week? This week, we're going to talk about Bernie Tita and the town of Carthage, Texas. The things I found out about Carthage is uh, it's 180 miles east, uh, which is really close to the Louisiana border. The population was 6,779 in 2010. They had a giant gas field was discovered there. Um, And then after World War II, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think it was methane gas. I think it's like natural gas. Yeah, I read it was one of the largest natural gas fields in the world. After the war, they started to develop that, and it proved to be the largest in the U.S. Um, It used to be known for the home of Jim Reeves and Tex Ritter, but now it's known for the lady in the freezer. The lady in the freezer. Oh, and in 1996, it was voted best little town in Texas. So that's Carthage. This is where all this happened. All right. So Bernie Tita... Born as Bernhardt Tita II, was born in Tyler, Texas, and then he moved to Kilgore. His father was a chairman of the Fine Arts Department of Kilgore Junior College, and unfortunately his mom died in a car accident when he was three, Mm -hmm. which led his father into drinking a lot. He did get remarried, and him and his sister and his dad and new mom, or stepmom, moved to Abilene. I didn't know they lived in Abilene. I didn't see that. Yes. And at 15, his father died. And so he had to support himself and his sister because his stepmom was no longer around after his father passed away. He started working after school at an Abilene funeral home, doing yard work and helping out with the funerals, doing whatever they needed. Even at 15, he was known as always helping other people. Um, He would make curtains for people. He was a very good seamstress. He was very good at math. He would help people do their taxes Help them fill out the forms. Did he live with his uncle? Did you see that? He lived with his uncle for a while after his um, stepmom left. Okay. <clears throat> Is that whenever he was it's, working? Yes. It's important later on mm-hmm. in the story mm-hmm. where he, that he was living with his uncle at a young age. He finished school and started going to school um, at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where mm-hmm. he received an associate's degree in mortuary science. Um, And then he worked at a funeral home in the town. I wonder what mortuary science is all about. Is it just about preparing the body? Probably. Or learning, like, how the body... Biology and decomposition. I bet that would be really, really interesting. Like, I don't think I could be a mortician, but it would be interesting to know, like, what that's like. I wouldn't want to be in the room with all those dead bodies. No. He moved to Carthage in 1985 and worked at Hawthorne Funeral Home where he rented a small apartment behind the funeral home. And people that he worked with and people in the town described him as peachy and sweet. Well-known member of the community. Yes. Um, He wore very colorful clothing, and he drove a Lincoln Continental. Mm -hmm. Many women in the community really wanted to date him, and they would go after him. However, he showed no romantic interest in women his age at all. A lot of the men during their coffee shop talks would insinuate that he was a little light in the loafers. 
That's not very nice of them to say that. No, he was. Because he's different. He was gay, and he did enjoy men. He was not attracted to women, but... But this was the 90s, and this was Texas, so... And the small town in Texas and at so that. I'm sure it wasn't like... He, didn't, was, he wasn't real vocal about it, right? Right. And it was probably something that they weren't used to, which is probably not... And he was very sweet, and he was kind. He was always trying to help people, so why wouldn't women think, oh, mm-hmm. that's so sweet of him? He loved small-town life of East Texas, and at a lot of the funerals that he worked at at the Hawthorne Funeral Home, he sang solos behind the screen during the funerals, and he had a talent for making the hair of the deceased look very natural, which I thought was it's interesting. Yeah, he was to talented. Make it lay, he was gifted. Lay a certain, I mean, because they're laying down, right? So it's mm-hmm. not like you can have, I don't know, he did a really good job making their hair look good. It just probably gave them the poof. A little teasing on top. Some Aquanet. Lots of Aquanet. And a lot of people stated that he was very empathetic to the older women, especially new widows. So the elderly women that would come and be a part of their husband's funeral, he seemed to cater to them more than other funerals that he worked. After the funerals, whenever elderly women would lose her husband, he would call them after Mm -hmm. the funeral and offer to pick up their medication from the drugstore you know, go to the grocery store for them, whatever they needed, which is really sweet. And some of the widows that would go to their friend's husband's funeral would ask him, hey, whenever mine dies or if I die, can you sing at my funeral? Because you just have a really beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. So he was part of the First United Methodist Church in Carthage, and he was a tenor soloist. He taught Sunday school, and sometimes when the minister was sick or on vacation, he would give the sermon. So he was like... He did everything in the in the community. For a small town, he did everything. He also was in drama and music at Panola College, mm-hmm. I think, which was the county college there in Carthage. So another thing that Carthage was known for was being full of well-to-do widows who inherited small fortunes from their rich husbands. Husbands just died there. Well, a I mean, lot of them. It was we talked about the natural gas field that was found there, and they started producing that. So if you live there, when they discovered it, then I'm sure you got a, you probably went and got a piece of it. I don't think they gave it to you, but like, that's a good investment back then. Mm -hmm. So one of the widows that he had done a funeral for, her name was Gracie Duke, and she was the widow of a mechanic. So compared to some of the other widows that he had been helping, this one was much didn't really get as much fortune as some of the others because he was a mechanic. He wasn't one of these very, very rich men that she was married to. She complained of her bones aching after the the funeral, so he drove her to Hot Springs, Arkansas, just so she could sit in the hot springs. Aww. So he's very, very thoughtful, you know, so he took her up there. So in March of 1990, Bernie meets Mrs. Marjorie Nugent. So Marjorie Nugent was married to R.M., Nugent. He was a banker and a millionaire. He died in 1990. And so, of course, this is how she met Bernie because they used that Bernie's funeral home for her husband's funeral. Uh, Marjorie was an introvert. She had one son who is a medical examiner in Amarillo. Interesting. Yep. And so he had four children. So she has four grandchildren. I read that he was a retired Dallas physician at one point. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if so, he was like... a physician, then an Emmy, or yeah. Emmy, then a physician. He could have been both, but been a practicing physician in Dallas, and then practiced Emmy part in Amarillo. Maybe. 
So, And she had two sisters, one of whom lived there in Carthage as well. And she didn't talk to her? No, that was, yeah, I'll get to that. So she was born as Marjorie Midyet Nugent, but I think her maiden name was Midyet. Mm-hmm. She was born in 1915, just outside of Carthage. Her father ran the only town grocery store, and she attended Louisiana Tech, where she met R.L. Rod Nugent, who she graduated from school with, with an electrical engineering degree. After marriage, he took a job with Magnolia Oil, which became mobile. And they wow. lived all over Louisiana, New Mexico, and Texas. So that's how he got so rich is because he was mobile before mobile became mobile. Right. And then in 1989, they moved back to Carthage, which is where um, they lived for a short time before Rod passed away. And then he started, he bought First National Bank of Carthage. So not only did he own all this other mobiles, but now he owned the only bank. And then they built a 6,000-square-foot stone home on the edge of town surrounded by a stone wall and electronic gates. Yep. It's a really nice house. We'll post pictures of it. Yeah, she was very mean and cantankerous. She had lots of cash. The last time her family visited her was in 1994, and even then she made it clear that visit wasn't welcome. She didn't really want them there. And she also didn't talk to her sisters, which I can't imagine. I can't. I mean, even when I typed that, reading it in the paper, I was like, how could you not... Yeah, and she wasn't talking to her sister because of a disagreement in the 80s about their dead mother's estate. Like, it's been over 10 years. Let it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't go more than a couple of days without talking to you guys, so mm-hmm. I can't imagine years. I mean, even when I didn't live here, when I lived in San Angelo, we still saw each other several times a year. Mm-hmm. And so as we read on with the story, you'll see that she didn't see family for years There would be several years in a row before they would come and see her. And no one was surprised that they didn't see her or hear from her, which is sad. Which is even more reason, I think, that she and Bernie became such good friends. Because he was there, she needed someone, and he was doing like with the rest of the widows. He was checking on her and calling on her, calling to check on her, doing errands for her since, you know, Mm -hmm. her husband wasn't around to do those things anymore. Um, even though, I mean, she had a maid, so... A lot of people in the town said that um, she acted as if she was too good to be in Carthage, even yeah. though she was from there. And one neighbor stated if she held her nose any higher, she would drown in a rainstorm. <laughs> Those Texas quote, y'all. Um, and she didn't like to spend her money in town. There was one time where she went to a local veterinarian to to take her dog to the vet, and it was a $45 charge, right? That's just what the charge was. And she argued him down to $20. Who could clearly afford $45. Yeah. So it wasn't She just didn't want the town to have her money. It. She just didn't want him to have her money. It wasn't about what it, she was spending it on. It's who was getting it. A neighbor stated if she liked you, she sent you lovely birthday cards and thank you notes. But you had to cater to Margie constantly and flatter her. She could throw a temper tantrum if everything didn't go her way. So she seems like a... A hard one to please. We're, we're going to go ahead early on and give her the salty award. Yeah. There are going to be several salty people in this story, but I think she... She throws a lot of, she, a lot of salt. And, and we're talking big, coarse sea salt. And the, the, the first time that Bernie saw her was at the funeral with her husband, who passed away with heart failure. And only a handful of people came to the funeral, which is really sad because, you know, if your wife is that bad, nobody wants to hang around you. <laughs> And then now Poor to celebrate husband. your life, they have to deal with her at your funeral, so no, they don't want to deal with her. That. We'll just send flowers. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my condolences. I'm out. 
And so she goes over to the, Marjorie goes over to the casket and she's looking down at her husband and she starts shaking and she's crying. So Bernie runs over there and gives her his coat and starts singing a hymn to her in her ear. And like from that moment, they're like inseparable. He drives her, he drives her to the cemetery, not in the limo like normal. Mm -hmm. He drives her to the cemetery and then he gets her from the car, takes her to the graveside, stays with her during the graveside and it's like. From that moment on, they're just inseparable. So after the funeral, Bernie was the only person to look after Miss Nugent. Because as we said before, her family wasn't around. She didn't talk to her sister. So he'd go over to her house and have lunch with her. And he would leave notes of words of endearment around her house, take her to the movies. And so they started noticing that Bernie started having some of the finer things in life. For example, she gave him a $12,000 Rolex watch that came from her husband. It was actually her husband's watch. But people in town called her the Grinch. So they were like, how is this really evil person? Yeah, how are you able to swoon over the Grinch to give you a $12,000 Rolex watch? Not only, like, she didn't just buy it for him, it belonged to her husband, and she gave it to him. So um, in 1991, uh, she requested the bank to start accepting checks from her account signed by Bernie. So he could write a check to himself. Or he could write a check and sign it over for paying bills, cash, for whatever. Because, I mean, in the 90s, debit cards weren't very yep. big. Everything Credit cards, was everything was check or cash. So he would write stuff to cash, and she told him, whatever he wants, you give him. So he had free reign to do whatever he wanted when it came to the checks in the bank. So the bank questioned her and was like, are you sure you want to do this? And she told him, if you ask me again, I'm going to move all my stocks to another bank. And considering that my stocks keep you open, I suggest you not question my authority and what I want. And he's like, all right, fair enough. Do what you want. So they start spending more time together. The other widows start to become very jealous because now when they have, when they, when their husband passes away, he's not as prominent in their he's life not afterwards. As available. And the people that he was still visiting that already lost their husband, he's gone he's not around anymore he doesn't have any spare time she's soaking it all up so rumors start spreading through carthage that maybe they're romantic they went on a cruise and they shared a cabin together when they heard that they were like why did they have to do that she has enough money why didn't she buy him his own room why are they sharing a cabin even if in that cabin there were two beds they were like, why Why would she do that? You know, like, why is she but sharing he's that? he's a gay man, what's the big, maybe she doesn't feel threatened, so she's fine. Well, and then, even if they are romantic, who cares? It's their business. Who cares? I mean. If they're happy, they're not hurting anyone. And he was seen holding her hand around town. I read that too. But he said, I was just trying to help her walk. I mean, she's an older lady, and we have uneven sidewalks, and... She's older. I just don't want her to fall. I wasn't trying. I mean, they weren't. He said they would hold arms, but people in the town said they were holding hands. At the funeral home, Bernie was making about $18,000 annually. Miss Nugent, however, was grossing two hundred to $300,000 a year in oil and gas. So very, very big gap. So he was consistently behind in his credit card bills. And he owed the IRS $4,000 in back taxes. So in 1993, Bernie notifies his boss, Don, at the funeral home that he's going to start working for Miss Nugent as her business manager, and he will be her escort on trips. So he basically says, Sayonara, I got another job. Miss Nugent went to the extreme of changing her will and made Bernie the sole heir to her multi-million dollar estate. She told her cousin she didn't want to leave a cent to her son 
or any of her immediate family because they didn't appreciate her. Salty. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, she didn't want her son, not a cent. Or her grandchildren. Who, I'm, I'm sure you watched a few documentaries, and they talked very highly of her. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd, I'd be really a little salty. They were the only ones that did. Yeah, I'd be the a little salty. The grandchildren were the only ones that were like... I'd be like, damn, you don't want to leave me a cent? Like, not even ten cents? Nothing. So now Bernie's in the money, right? He's been working for her. He's a business manager. He can go get money when he wants it. And so he bought a two-bedroom home a mile from her house. He earned his pilot license, and he bought a few small airplanes. Mm -hmm. He took Miss Nugent's seat on the board of the first national bank that her husband had bought and placed calls to her stockbroker with recommendations he thought stockbrokers should change for Miss Nugent to make more money. So the stockbroker responded and was like, what do you know about the stock market? All you know, you're just a mortician. You're an undertaker. Like, what exactly could you be telling me? He goes and tells Miss Nugent, hey, I was trying to make you more money, and this is what your stockbroker says. So she calls him and says, if you ever speak to my Bernie that way again, I'll be changing stockbrokers. So obviously he shut his mouth, Mm -hmm. just like the bank owner did. Whatever Bernie wants, Bernie gets, right? So they started traveling the world together. They went to the Orient, Egypt, Russia, New York, and they even saw some Broadway musicals in in New York. And they sailed on the Queen Mary to Europe, returning to the Concorde. So they were, like, traveling all over the world. And I'm sure it was great for her because she had a companion, right? She lost her husband, her only man she ever loved. She lost him, and now there's someone that can travel with her because it's not like they didn't have the money. And if he was sick towards the end, they couldn't obviously travel. Yeah. So I'm sure it was great for her. You know, all mom wants to do now that dad's gone is travel. That's yeah. all she wants to do. So I'm sure she was just living life, right? I mean, that's what the money's there for. Even that much money a year in the 90s, I mean, you're going to have to go do some extravagant stuff to spend yeah, that money. Yeah, you're going to need to spend some so you don't lose it. As time starts to go on, uh, Bernie started paying a price for these luxuries. He had um, to lay out her medication every day. If he did not arrive at her house by 11.45 a.m. every day for lunch, she would become extremely frustrated. And he had a pager. She would call his pager incessantly until he arrived. If he was over at someone's house, he would have to interrupt the conversation, use the phone, check in with her, and if he didn't call her, she would give him living hell. And she would start calling the first house that she thought he would be at. And she would call every house until she found him or he called her. So he started to feel like at this point it wasn't as enjoyable, right? Because before he was there because he wanted to be and he's traveling, he's having a great time. And now she's like controlling his every move. Yeah, way, way more demanding than he expected. So the money that he's able to get from her accounts and the money he's been given, he decides he's going to become the town Robin Hood, even though Miss Nugent has no idea. So, she doesn't like spending her money there. No, not into the town especially. <laughs> so he would slip money out of her bank and give it to anyone that could use it for help. Mm-hmm. He purchased 10 cars for people who couldn't afford one. Mm-hmm. He bought a home for a struggling young couple that really wanted to buy a new house. He provided scholarships to students at Panola College. He pledged $100,000 to a new building campaign at First United Methodist Church. He led a fundraising drive for the Boy Scouts. He bought a business from a woman who had a trophy shop that made the trophies for the high school, and she was about to go bankrupt. So he didn't want the sports team to not get trophies, so he just bought the business. Not the trophies. He bought the business (laughs) to keep the business open to make the trophies. So she would still have 
Obviously, so the woman that owned the company would still have a job, mm-hmm. and the kids would still get their trophies. Yep. Big heart. So years continue to go by. A couple years go by. In 1995, Bernie ends up telling his sister that Miss Nugent's starting to develop a little bit of dementia, and she's not really making a lot of sense. She fired the gardeners because the flowers didn't bloom on time. <laughs> she felt that they should have, by her rec- records, they should have bloomed at a certain time, and they weren't there then, so she fired all of them. Pretty big estate, so it's a lot of a lot of bushes to be watered and trimmed, trees, flowers, and all that. Can't let your bushes get unruly. So she asked Bernie to buy a twenty two rifle to shoot the armadillos that were rooting up her front yard because she was tired of them messing up her yard, even though she had no gardener to take care of her yard. She didn't want the armadillos out there. So he would find himself, like, stalking these um, these armadillos. And she would watch, sit on the porch and watch him. And she thought it was funny <laughs> while he tried to shoot these armadillos. I bet it was funny. Yeah, I'm sure. So his sister told him that she was very controlling. And he, she's like, just quit. Just go. Just, just leave. What can she do? There's nothing binding you to her. So just quit and go back to the funeral home. You have enough money. You can do it. And he's like, no, if I do that, she won't have anyone. She'll be all alone. She's already starting with dementia. She's going to die alone in her home. And she's my only friend. So I've kind of made enemies here in town because I've given her all my time. So we've kind of made this situation for Mm -hmm. ourselves. So in Thanksgiving of 1996, Bernie went to see his sister for Thanksgiving because Miss Nugent had decided to spend the holiday in Ohio with the one sister she talks to. Christmas comes and he decorates her house for her. He said that she was still in Ohio, still, you know, still with her sister. And then the new year comes and early spring comes and people are not seeing Miss Nugent around anymore. And so they're asking him, you know, where, where's Marjorie? Have you seen her? And he's like, oh, she's in bed. She's not feeling well. She doesn't want visitors. And by late spring, um, he said she had moved to a nursing home outside of Carthage, recuperating from a stroke. So the stockbroker contacts him and says, what's going on? You know, it's been like six, seven months since I've seen Marjorie and I have stocks that need to be settled and you can't make those decisions. And he's like, well, she's lost her mind. She has Alzheimer's. So good luck. So he didn't really believe Bernie and he started to worry about her safety. So the maid continued to go to the house. And clean the house. Bernie had rehired a new yard guy, so he continued going out and cutting the yard. And he kept giving money away, jet skis, pickup trucks, students that performed at the Panola County College. He would invest in them, like he'd buy the costumes, he'd make the costumes. And then he bought boots, scoot, and western wear. Well, he was in some of the plays at the school. Yeah, yeah. but the, the, I'm saying for the high school. Oh, yeah. So there was a boot scoot and western wear that mm-hmm. he bought. So he was giving for some of the silent auctions and some of the prizes. He was giving gift certificates to his own store. <laughs> July, summer of 97. In the newspaper, we see investigation begins into the disappearance of Marjorie Nugent. Friends reported informally that she had not been seen since November of the previous year. Her money and assets were being used and transferred from her accounts. And of course, the investigation led them straight to Bernie. And as you were mentioning that he was reporting that she was in all different places. She was here. She was there. Nobody could ever find her. And he would agree to produce her, but he never did. There was no evidence of a formal missing persons report. So the sheriff's departments and DAs, they they couldn't really do anything. They were kind of stuck. 
right? They knew something had happened, but they really couldn't do anything. So they finally contacted her son and said, look, we think something's going on. We need you to come down here, get a temporary power of attorney, release us to be able to go in into her house and, and check on her. They filed a missing persons report so that they could say, all right, now it's formal. Let's go check on her. And did, did you read why <clears throat> they realized that she was missing? Because of what Bernie told them? He was in Las Vegas singing at a Panola College student's wedding. And so the sheriff went to Vegas and found him and was like, where's Miss Nugent? He's like, oh, she's in a hospital in Temple oh. under a different name. So she doesn't want to be contacted. So you just need to leave her alone. And he's like, well, what name is she under? So he gives them this fake name. So they go to Temple and there's no woman there by, the, by that name. So they know immediately that obviously she's missing because he's been given every opportunity to produce her. And every time he, he gives a different story. And now he's telling the sheriff that she's in a hospital somewhere by a different name because she was rich and she didn't want to be seen vulnerable. She was embarrassed. I mean, it's a plausible story. I mean, she was a salty woman. She didn't want somebody knowing that she was now in a frail position. I could believe that. But then when they go look for her, she should be there. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't. Well, and the other thing is everybody had their own uh, version of what made them suspicious. Like I read something where one lady said she was, uh, not one lady, it was his cousin. She was suspicious because she asked him where, you know, where's Marjorie? And he said, oh, she's at the Mayo Clinic in Tennessee. Well, the Mayo Clinic's in Missouri. So that's when she got suspicious. So I guess because he was lying so much, I think that's why there were so many people concerned because none of the stuff he said, he didn't even do any fact checking to make sure that what he was saying made sense. Because if he had done that, he might have gotten away with it. So the deputies and her son and his, one of his daughters went into the house okay and they're looking around for evidence they're trying to figure out what's going on well the granddaughter knew that anytime marjorie went out of town she would clear the freezer out because she was going to be gone and didn't want the food to go bad so her first thought was let's go check the freezer and then we'll know if she was planning to leave or if Mm -hmm. she just left so she goes and looks at the freezer well it's taped it's got masking tape on it so she breaks the tape and then gets a weird feeling so the the deputy's like you know why don't you step out so he has the granddaughter step out and when the granddaughter steps out, they open the freezer. Bum, bum, bum. What do you think they find in the freezer? A whole entire freezer filled with Ben and Jerry's ice cream. No, oh but that sounds good. Is it all the same kind of ice cream? No, it's no, all different. it's assorted. It is assorted. So you could like open it and like put your hand in and no matter what you grabbed it's and pulled out, it's ben so good. Yeah, but that's not what they found, is it? We you digress. dream about the weirdest shit. I swear <laughs> to God. There might have been ice cream in there but what they found in there was poor marjorie she was covered up with a blanket and some turkey and some corn so she was a frozen nugent (laughs) she was a frozen popsicle nugent that is not funny (laughs) (laughs) hashtag frozen nugent dang so they got the deep freeze i wonder i loaded it onto a truck how much food he ate out of that freezer Oh, I, oh, you know, I don't think he did. I think he taped it up and left it. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, it was taped. Tape wasn't broken. Or we don't know if he did it. Maybe he put fresh tape on it. Maybe maybe somebody else put her there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm trying to give him the benefit like of the doubt. the armadillas? Right, yeah. Or the gardener that was pissed off. How dare you take I my mean, damn job? She had, exactly, and she had a lot of enemies, so, That's you know, true. she was really salty. So they loaded the freezer onto a truck. 
with a portable generator and they take it all the way to Dallas to the Dallas County Crime Lab. And why did they have to put the generator on it? Well, because it was summer and they didn't want her to thaw out on the drive. (laughs) They wanted her to stay a frozen Nugent until they got to Dallas. Because it's a 130 mile drive and we're talking August in Texas. It's like 120 out there, right? Dang. We don't, they don't know how long it's going to take for all that to start thawing. So they just want to be safe and preserve any evidence that might be in True. there. That makes sense. They just want to keep it just like it is and get it to the crime lab so they can see what they got going on in there. You don't want that Ben and Jerry's to be contaminated with the decomp. I, I'm not going to lie. Decomp ice cream. I'm not going to lie. If I was a sheriff, I'd be like, what are we going to do with the ice cream? <laughs> Did the ice cream touch the cadaver? I mean, it's above, okay. if it was above her. I don't think you can eat anything in there. Your despotism is showing. It's all contaminated. It's You've been too long. all that shit away. So the next day, news of Marjorie being found in her dead in her freezer is spreading everywhere. So we get more details that she was wrapped in a blanket in a chest type freezer near the breakfast nook. That's appropriate, I guess. Is that where you keep your freezer? No. My freezer is attached to my fridge. When I had a separate deep freeze, it was in the garage. That makes sense. It wasn't in the breakfast nook. But, of course, I didn't have a 6,000-square-foot house either. But did you keep dead bodies in yours? No. Because then it might be even more appropriate to I keep it in the garage. I deer and dead cow. I mean, that makes sense. Dead chickens. But it would make more... I mean, I, it would be more plausible if it was in the garage. That kind of is more eerie. Mm-hmm. But to have it, like, next to your... Inside your house. Cereals kind of... Yeah, it's weird. So after the news that they found her, the next shocking news that Carthage gets is Bernie is arrested and charged with her murder. His bond was set at $1.5 million. And then now it's about to take a pretty big twist. Yeah, and he was, when they arrested him, he was on his way to take a Little League baseball players out to dinner on her dime. How embarrassing. Poor Bernie. So did you read how many days it took for her body to thaw out before they could? Two. That is so yep. awful. So, and like, how do they tell? Are they like, nope, still icy? I, I don't nope. know. It's a medical Feels examiner, fine. so I guess it has to be like. What, a rectal thermometer? <laughs> oh my God. I get, but at least they don't feel it and they don't really know what's going on. <laughs> so. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. The next thing that happens is that Bernie, guess what he does? What? He confesses. What did he say? He said, I shot her about two or three times with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Because? He didn't say at this point. So the district attorney, Danny Buck Davidson, who was going to be our salty person, but there's nobody more salty than the frozen Nugent in the story. I agree. So he's quoted as saying, we're waiting on our investigation and the autopsy report. He won't say anything else. So, of course, all of the students at the college and people all over town are just devastated because they can't imagine that this person that they love so much that helped everybody and was super a pillar of the community, they said, would do such a thing. More information about the past is coming up. Like people that are friends with Bernie are saying that he and Mr. Nugent were friends before he died in 1990 and that the Nugents knew Bernie's parents, which I didn't make that connection before but that's what this says that their association went way back even they knew him when he was a kid uh and so over the years they maintained their connection with him and had an interest in him and and helping him and before mr nugent passed away he made bernie promise to take care of margie 
Interesting. I mm-hmm. did not know that. Yes. And you said they, they were self-made millionaires. And despite the rumors, there were several mutual friends that said Bernie and Margie's, they, Margie was her nickname, that their relationship was not romantic at all. But then you have other people saying it was. So it's, I guess it just depends on your train of thought or what you, what you saw. Bernie was arrested and it caused an uproar in Carthage. So women <laughs> were so upset that they arrested him that they wanted to raise money to meet the $1.5 million bond that the mm-hmm. DA put in place. So he got a little mad. Mr. Davidson, the he went, attorney. He went to the Justice of the Peace and filed additional theft charges against Bernie for stealing the money while she was dead and raised the bond from $1.5 to $2.7 million so that they would not be able to raise the money. <laughs> then he told the Reverend to stop praying for Mr. Bernie T.D., because it is not right to be praying for that man that took this woman's life. And he told him, stop publicly praying every Sunday. That's a little salty, but you still can't beat this new church. And he didn't, so he stopped going to church. <laughs> Teach them. One of the first people he spoke to was his sister, and she asked him, what did you do? Why did you leave her in the freezer? You know what he said? Rosa Nugent. I wanted to give her a proper burial. You know, everyone deserves a proper burial. Okay. I'm just going to go on record as saying I don't want to be stuck in a freezer. Me that's too. Not my, that's not my version of proper no. proper. And maybe, I mean, maybe proper. he was saying I wanted to give her one eventually. But I wasn't ready yet. But, I had money to spend. I didn't have the time or the gardener was there or whatever. Nobody really knew what was going on yet. So. I don't know how to bury a frozen body. Like, no. But doesn't doesn't add up. Uh, some of the people from the town were quoting are saying, if, if anything, that she was more like his grandmother, more trying to defend that it wasn't a romantic relationship. Um, he was never anything but the most gentle gentleman to her. He's the kindest, most gentle man I've ever known in my life. Um, this was someone that worked with him in the theater. She became more possessive, but it wasn't romantic. It's what they keep. some people keep saying. So then to your point... They add more charges to bring it up to almost $2 million so that they can't raise the money. It's pretty bad. Um, Her death was ruled a homicide, which was caused by multiple gunshots, all entering from the back. It was looking like the murder charge might be changed to capital murder at this point because of the theft and gunshots. Uh, They recovered the rifle from the Nugent home. Obviously, believed to have been the, the murder weapon. It was laying next to the freezer. I remember seeing a Like, all the it. pictures of the freezer, there was this twenty two rifle I laying know. next to it. I'm like, oh my god, you didn't try very hard to cover up your work, and did And there you? was a box that had Bernie's written on it. Did you see that in one no. of those pictures? It just says Bernie's. And one of the other people in town said, if I made a list of people that would be going to heaven, Bernie would be the first on my list. So I know he's a good person, right? I mean, I know he... Did all these great things for people, despite it was whether it was with his money or someone else's. Right. But he took someone's life, so... Clifton Scrappy Holmes of Longview was retained as Bernie's uh, retainer. Bernie's retainer. (laughs) 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 Clifton Scrappy Holmes of Longview was retained but not appointed to defend Bernie. And obviously the investigation was centered on Bernie's financial dealings because that was at the foremost of 
everything that was going on. It all went back to the money, the money, the money. At this point, the Nugent family hadn't decided whether to pursue all of the money that's already been spent or what they were going to do with that. Because right now it's freeze everything, keep what we have. We'll figure out what to do with what he spent later on. But right now they didn't know what they were. They didn't know what they were looking into. And they weren't even sure at that point if they wanted to mess with all of the, the lawyers and the attorneys that might have to go along with that. Uh, they got a lot of evidence from Bernie's house. Some of the evidence they got were videotapes of Bernie and friends and businesses, business acquaintances. Of doing what? We'll, we'll learn about that later, but they got videotapes. This is Mr. Our Danny Buck Davidson. I love how all these attorneys and district attorneys in Texas have a middle nickname. This one is Buck. The other one was Scrappy. <laughs> So um, he says, to my understanding, the sheriff has recovered some videotapes that they are still reviewing as time permits for use as possible evidence in connection with the death of Mrs. Nugent. I wonder what's on these videotapes. So they had to bring the IRS in because of all the money and they had to figure out how much taxes and all that stuff. David Carter, who was a criminal, he worked for the Criminal Investigations Division of the IRS, filed a temporary restraining order, putting a stop to all financial transactions by Bernie, his employees, and his agents. So in addition to implicating himself in Mrs. Nugent's death, Bernie is said to have made statements to the law enforcement authorities, implicating himself transferring money from one account to another. Like, why would you admit that? But anyway, and he was using his money, using her money, not just for the town, but for his own personal use as well. Mm -hmm. Like there's evidence that he spent money on himself. He transferred $250,000 in about a dozen transactions. In another instance, Bernie appears to have cast a check for $400,000. And at this point, any use of her money after her death could lead to federal charges of money laundering. So this restraining order that they put on all of these accounts will prevent access to bank and investment accounts in this list of all the places they had. New Jersey, San Francisco, Carthage, Lake Charles, Louisiana, and Boston and Iowa. Two safe deposit boxes containing a coin collection and another containing jewelry. So all this stuff now is frozen and not even he can touch it. Mm. until they can figure out what's going on. And also, you know, you mentioned that he had purchased the Carthage Aviation. Mm -hmm. So they had to shut that down or at least freeze it. And then he also owned Carthage Awards, the awards place, and then five aircraft. And didn't he also... And a hangar. He also owned a hangar at the Panola County Airport. Didn't he also own that boot store? Yeah, that, that's in there. I remember writing something about that or reading something about that, but it hasn't mentioned it so far. Hmm. Uh, IRS agents already have discovered Bernie didn't just spend money on himself. <laughs> One example of, of his generosity was his investment in a play being written by Jeremy Jones, who works at a local video store. Mr. Tita was producing a play of mine, or had promised to, so I'm pretty much high and dry right now. He spent a good $10,000 on it. He also said, we all assumed he was very wealthy. I never questioned it. Dumb. Yeah, but like you, he moved to town before the Nugents moved there. So if he was wealthy, he'd have been wealthy then. Well, maybe this kid that worked for this play or video, whatever, didn't know him before. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think at this point it didn't matter because he had so much charisma that people were just like, oh, just take it at face value. It's just a really nice guy. 
just being helpful. He's helping everybody. He's going to help me. Miss mm-hmm. Nugent's got dys- dyslexia. That's ironic. She has Alzheimer's, so I'm just going to take this money. Oh, this was interesting. There was an article that talked about some of the um, residents gathering and praying for God's strength in this situation. Yeah. Sermon titled, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Um, all right, so the end of August, do you have anything to say about that? I'm just speechless. I don't know what to say. They actually printed that. The message to the church was to hold fast to their faith and find understanding through God. When our friends are accused of something wrongly, they need our support. And if that friend really did the wrong, they need friends even more. It sounds like an after-school special. The, yeah. The congregation was pleased that they had a new pastor at this point. But they were pleased oh, I, I hope so. that this new pastor it actually addressed the issue to the congregation and didn't just try to ignore it. So, and when he was like sick, they didn't call Bernie from jail to fill in for him. Hey, can you come sing with your beautiful voice? Your Sorry, murder. your friend got killed. <laughs> your murderous voice. Sorry, your friend froze to death. All right, so the end of August, he's finally indicted by the grand jury. Both uh, charges of both murder and theft over 200000 And if he's convicted, he faces penalties ranging from 5 to 99 years for life for each count. The restraining order on his finances and assets were extended into September... Oh, the other thing is that they were worried that, that because he was a pilot and because he had all this money that he was going to, like, hightail oh, it. Yeah. 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 An injunction was filed to prevent him from disposing of any of his assets. He was a flight risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if his bond was set at even at $2.7 million, he only has to pay 10% of that to right. get out. So that's mm-hmm. only two hundred dollars he could easily eat shit that money by lunch. Absolutely. No problem. I mean, and he could liquidate that even not even when he's in jail. He'd get people to do that, get the money, and then he's out and he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's in Canada before you know it. and Or Mexico, you know, wherever he wants to go. People are starting to process, okay, this happened in November, and here we are. It's, it's almost a year later. And so they're going through their mind thinking, okay, what are all the things that we saw him do? When she was in the freezer and they were talking about one of the sermons that they remember him preaching about and all the times he sang this whole time she's in there in the freezer dead. One of the sermons that they videotaped, he is quoted as saying, here's where Jesus wants his disciples to shine. He wants us to outlove everybody else on earth, to give more than everybody else on earth, to be the shining example that he calls us to be. New twist. In November of 97, a couple is accused of conspiring in a money laundering scheme with Bernie. Hmm. Filed November 13 against John Wyatt and Beverly Henderson, owners of the Boot Scootin' Western store in downtown Carthage. Oh, snap. Application states that starting in 1993, the Hendersons created a scheme. Money that was taken from Nugent was used for the support and enjoyment of the Hendersons, and for the maintenance of the Westernware store. Between 1993 and 1997, more than $400,000 was taken from Nugent and her estate and given to the Hendersons. Before and after Nugent's death, he took money from her gas accounts, bank accounts, the sale of her property, and placed money in accounts in his name. He then transferred the money taken from her to the Hendersons to pay the bills, inventory, and advertising costs to bolster his friendship with them. 
So did he not really own that store? Sounds like they owned it, but he obviously helped them pay their bills. Damn. The scheme was operated by the Hendersons, and Bernie served as a conduit to spend, enjoy, and launder money fraudulently and unlawfully obtained from Nugent. So along with the other stuff they froze, now they're freezing everything owned by the Hendersons, including the Western Wear store and anything involving any money that was taken from Nugent in order to keep them from liquidating their assets as well. So you had mentioned that earlier, and mm-hmm. this was the first time it comes up. So I don't think he owned it. I okay. think he just helped them. Keep I think it maybe afloat. the maybe the persona was maybe he was a partner or partly owned it, which is why he was putting money in it. Maybe that's why he was telling yeah. anybody that asked where the money was that he part. Or maybe that's also the maybe he also laundry. said that he owned it, so people wondered where he got his income from. He could yeah. say, "Oh well, I'm a co-owner of the boot scooting store." Mm-hmm. And we sell a lot of boots here. Come on over and buy your boots, Texas. So now, now I mean, we're into January of 1998, where at this point he's been indicted. And now he's trying to help recover some of the victim's money. The trial is delayed until June. It was supposed to happen really quickly, but now they're trying to untangle everything. It's not going to be until June. And at this point, Davison said that they made Bernie sell the Carthage Aviation and the awards, which he sold from his jail cell, and the money was given directly to the Nugent family. So he's on his way to try to like, okay, I'm caught. I'll give you back as much money as I can mm-hmm. gather and give back. There's rumors that the trial was going to start in June, but now Buck Davidson is saying, I've never scheduled for that trial, and it's on hold indefinitely. <laughs> He's really pissed off. He's like, that's wrong because we never set the trial. They're not ready at this point for the lawyers to step in. So he's a little salty. He's I mean, a little bit. Not as much as Marjorie, Margie, but he's definitely salty. And then there is so much content on this story. There, there are three articles in the Texas Monthly. There is a movie about mm-hmm. it called Bernie with Jack Black, which comes into play later on. There's lots of documentaries. Um, there is... There's a 48-hour episode on it. 48 hours. That's what I was trying to think of. And there's some content on YouTube of the pretrial hearing, which I tried to listen to, but it just got on my nerves because it's lots of lawyer speak, and mm-hmm. it started irritating me because they just say nothing, but they say a lot. I mean, there are a lot of words, but there's not really a lot of stuff coming out. In February of 98, they have an estate sale at Nugent's house. There were so many people that showed up that the sheriff's deputies had to direct traffic. And yeah. Was this a estate sale at her house? Yes. I mean, I'd go too. Yeah, I how would m- go. Excuse me, how much is the freezer? Right. <laughs> Some people said they came out of curiosity. Uh, one lady said, I've been following the case and I wanted to see if I could find a good deal. Uh, others said they'd hoped to catch a glimpse inside the home where Nugent, known to have been a recluse, spent all of her days. So inside, they said there were many high-dollar items, antique furniture, figurines, furs, personal items like gospel tapes, gardening tips clipped from the newspaper, I guess because her gardeners didn't know how to keep flowers alive, <laughs> videotapes from a trip Nugent took with Bernie to Egypt, and a large tin in the garage marked Bernie weird wouldn't it be weird to go in there and see stuff that belonged to him Mm -hmm. well and i read that the granddaughters were very upset when they went all the pictures in the house all the pictures of their of their grandfather were gone actually that was before she died that was the last time they went to go visit her 
That's okay. the time whenever, because remember earlier on, I read that her family came to visit in 94, mm-hmm. and she made it known that she wasn't really, they, she didn't really want them there. Mm-hmm. That's when they noticed yeah, that there were no- all the pictures were of their grandfather were gone, and it was all her, all their grandmother, and Bernie everywhere. Yeah, which is creepy to go into the home, and all you see is this new person that she spends time with. And, like, he doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it was odd that when I read that when the granddaughters or the family would go visit, it seemed like it was every three years. Like, they went in 94, they went in 97. So, it's like to go check on the rich grandmother. Well, and they may not have even gone in 97 if she hadn't disappeared. Yeah, that's true. That, may, that visit in 94 may have been the last one. Yeah, that's the last time they saw her alive. So Nugent's son wants a death penalty. His name is Rob. This is um, Marjorie's son. He obtained copies of more than 31,000 pages of financial documents and records seized by the investigators from his mom's house. So he said that he is going to make Xerox copies of his mother's records. Not the Xerox. I know. I was like, I got to keep that in there. That's like a sign of the times, right? Not copies, but Xerox copies. Not the Xerox. I uh, was going to spend all of his spare time trying to understand what all was going on because obviously it involves a large amount of money. And he wouldn't specify, but the IRS alleged that hundreds of thousands of dollars was missing. He said he had not seen or heard from his mother in more than a year. We are not particularly close, he was quoted as saying. He said about his mom, she would have friends that would last a short time, but she had no long-lasting friendships. And um, he was saying that there was a lot of stress in their relationship. And the big reason was that he was a very independent person, and she always wanted to tell him what to do. Um, And so it never got past that stage. It was, this is what you should do. He didn't want to do it, so they just didn't really talk or didn't get that close. He said they tried to maintain contact with her, but when you go and visit somebody that didn't want you there, what's the point? Mm -hmm. He did talk about his daughters would go and see her occasionally every three years. (laughs) He said, we have seen her three times since my father died. So people would ask him about Bernie and he said, I I never really laid laid eyes on him. I, I knew that he was at my father's funeral and, but there are a lot of people there, and I was attending to the details of the funeral, So, uh, but other people told me he was there. So I don't think her son was a big fan of the Bernie like everybody else was. He said his theory on what happened is that his mom figured out that Bernie was taking money from her, and that's why she was killed. And he thought Bernie worked at the funeral home as a gateway to meet widows in their state of distress, which I think is really sad. Mm-hmm. But... I, I don't know that I believe that because he started doing it really early. I mean, that's yeah, just well, what he was interested in. That some, doesn't mean that some of the women that he took care of took care of didn't. I mean, that one lady, he drove her to Hot Springs, right. Arkansas to take care of her. He didn't get anything out of that financially. So maybe in the beginning it didn't start out that way. But clearly that's where it ended. Yeah, right? I, yeah. So I don't think he got into it for that. But I think he just got greedy. He started... Yeah. I think and I think he liked the power of the I think money he and, liked the feeling of being able to help other people, even though it wasn't from his pocketbook. It felt like it was because he had access to it. And they didn't question so, it, which you know, probably made it easier. See a need, fill a need. Yeah. I think that's what he did. 
A couple of more things that her son said. He said, I would like to see more articles written that don't make a guy accused of taking an 81-year-old woman and shooting her four times in the back into a hero. I grew up in West Texas, and we don't look too kindly on things like that. Well, he's not wrong. (laughs) I mean, it is sad that he shot her in the back. Yeah. With all of this, there's a small town, and so the rumor mill is going crazy. So even though Bernie's in jail, people are saying, oh, we saw Bernie shopping at the local grocery store. Oh, he got a double bed brought from his house to his jail cell because the jail bed was hurting his back. We heard that he gets frequent visits from other wealthy widows who bring him cookies and cakes. (laughs) Deputy Jones assured everyone Bernie is being treated like all the other inmates. He's still an inmate, no more accessibility than any other inmate. He's in a single cell. When he's not cooking, he's in his cell, just like everybody else. But he is the, sh- the chief cook in the jail, and evidently he's a really, really good cook. And so Davidson said that the people that work there as well, and they love Bernie's cooking, they're like, can't you try somebody else? He's a good cook, and we'd hate to lose him. Every time you try somebody, they're moved to the penitentiary, and, and we don't have him. <laughs> we don't have this good cook. Can you just do a sentence here? Can you just leave him alone and let us get the good food that he cooks? So he's expected to go to trial in October. Have another good quote from Davidson that says, No one likes a back shooter. That's (laughs) un-Texan. Davidson goes on to say, I think the power he got by using money became a very strong influence in his life, which is what you and I were just kind of saying. Mm -hmm. Because before moving to Carthage, he had been poor. Mm -hmm. So... He did have a group of men he shared money with. where And so where the family can prove that he shared money, they're going to get it back. He was good to a lot of people, but he was very good to some people. But Mr. Tita got something for what he gave. And what is that? David said those gifts, as well as confiscated videotapes, show illicit sexual acts. Show another side of Bernie. He had a separate life. He had an active sexual life with men. We're not San Francisco here. When I say closet, I mean closet. Damn. That's Davidson. So you can see why, besides Marjorie, I thought he's pretty damn salty. That is pretty salty. And the other thing is that some people in the town didn't want the case to go to trial for fear their sex lives would be exposed. They're quoted as saying, I'm certain there are some individuals who are hoping it won't come to trial because obviously those, so the videotapes that that you were dying to know what's on there, evidently Bernie liked to have be filmed while he was having sex with other men. Like if you want to have sex with men, that's fine. Were these like men that were married to women? It didn't go into detail. Or men that were like on the down low, so they didn't want it outed. I, I don't, I don't, I think it could probably be both. Yeah. Whatever it is, the people I mean, nobody that were wants, in them. Nobody wants anyone to see them on film having sex unless that's what you do for a living. Right. But nobody, no ordinary person that has a, lives a regular life that's not in the limelight wants anyone to see you in that moment. So I could understand that. Right. And then add to the fact that this is 90s, this is Texas, and some people just aren't accepting of that. And yeah. this is a very... Christian area, everybody goes to church, and some people that go to church believe that that's a sin. So, well, I don't that really makes see it even worse. What him, what his sexual life has to do with well, you this and I anyway. don't, but again, remember the time, yeah. And this is a small town of elderly people, 
that aren't getting lucky because they're widows. They aren't real receptive to that kind of thing, especially if it's on videotape. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on, do what you're going to do. Keep it in the bedroom with the door closed so nobody knows your business. Yeah. And so Bernie was asking for a reduction in his bond. <laughs> and so they did it. At one point it was up to 3 million. They did reduce it to two, but they weren't going to, they weren't going to reduce it any more than that. So now we have a trial date set for October 26th. Um, and he had asked to be set free before the case went to trial, but they were like, no, you're, you're staying in jail, buddy. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. We but he asks. I guess we don't give you like a ask. partial freedom before like, your trial. I need to go liquidate some assets. Can you let me out for a little bit? And again, they talk about him being a flight risk. <laughs> because they, at that point, they still hadn't been able to locate all of her money. They're still trying to figure out where it is. Like there was so much of it. They know how much is left. And he's sold a couple of businesses to put some of it back. But they just haven't, the paper trial hasn't been completely identified yet. They figured the trial was going to take two to three weeks. Oh, and I also read that Court TV had asked if they could televise the event, but Davidson referred to the judge on the answer to that question. But I didn't do any research to see if Court TV had done that, mm-hmm. but I did find a little, like I said, I found a little bit of pretrial, but I didn't find the actual hearing. Did you find any? Mm-mm. Yeah. So I guess they weren't able to, or if they did, it's not available on the internet. And this was funny. So they were talking about how they pick the judges in this county. Here's what they do. How do you think they do it? Do you have any idea of how that kind of legal stuff gets decided? I would think they would just look at the cases that they've tried and how they have handled that kind of case, whether it be a homicide or whatever. Right. And depend on how they ruled or how they did to make sure there were no bias. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. That's a great guess, but that's not what they do. Oh, great. They, they hang them upside down. No. Even better. The, and this is quoted. They literally put all of the judge's name in a Tupperware cookie jar, shake it up, draw one name, and that one goes to these cases that are in the district court. And then they pick another name for federal court. So that's how he got the judge that he got. I thought that was crazy. I guess that's a little bit of divine intervention, I guess. I guess so. So now they're going to try to pick a jury. Yeah, so we both already know that it's going to be impossible to try to pick a jury out of Carthage because mm-hmm. everybody in the town knows everything. But they're going to go ahead and try anyway. The judge is like, okay, let's give it a shot. They bring in more than 350 people, which is double the amount that they usually bring in. And so someone in the local community is quoted as saying, they can't pick a jury out of East Texas for this trial. If they do, if they find people who say they don't know anything about it, those people are lying. So, of course, now they're going to, they know that all this media is going to show up. It's going to be crazy in that town. Sherry McNeely, who was a former neighbor of Marjorie, is quoted as saying, maybe they'll make a movie and we can all get rich. I just don't want to be Bernie or Miss Nugent. Maybe I can just sing in the church choir. I wonder if she's in the movie. So, 350 people were summoned. Only 120 of them showed up because the other people were exemptions and that kind of stuff. Within the first hour, 20 of them were released. Of the remaining 100, they were asked if anyone had seen or heard anything about the case prior to the court. And everybody but two people raised their hand. Mm. <laughs> so he was right. So we went to three from 350, we're down to two. Oh Judge Griffin said, I have never had that many jurors raise their hands like that before. We'll have to find another county to try this case. 
There's been too much publicity and there's too much public knowledge about this case. So Scrappy, which we know is Bernie's attorney, filed a motion to, that opens the door to a possible probation sentence if he's convicted. Um, because he's a first-time offender, they want him to be eligible for a probation sentence um, according to Texas law. Um, and he also asked that the jury decide his sentence if a conviction is handed down. I guess he wanted that instead of the judge. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right? Well, when they're pulling the choices out of a Tupperware cookie jar, <laughs> exactly. I don't really think that they're choosing the right. It's <laughs> a good point. He's like, I trust these 12 people it's like off they the put, street more than like this judge. Cover their eye and they're like, and you're going to be a judge today. I'm going to throw a dart. We pick you. <laughs> I know I had to put that in there. I was like, that is I, you can't make that shit up. And so at this point, Davidson, who was head of the prosecution, feels like the momentum is swinging back into the defense's favor because now the trial's being moved. Because he felt like, well, it's in the bag. If it's here, everybody knows I've got this. Mm -hmm. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Because everyone in Carthage, even though they know that he did it, they don't want to see him go to jail. Well, the what I read ultimately is that the town was pretty much split. You have the, the half of the people that just remember him as being the sweet man, would never do anything wrong, were trying to raise money to get him out of jail. They're not going to change their mind. They still believe that even though he might have done it, she probably deserved it. And then you have the other half that are like, it doesn't matter if she deserved it or how she treated him. He killed her and stuck her in the damn freezer. Mm -hmm. So the town was basically divided. Okay. Where half the people wanted him to be released and... He needs to be forgiven. He was treated like shit. And the other half are like, he's a shit. Mm -hmm. So and so even though they hadn't really, uh, they don't have a jury yet, Judge Griffin still heard four hours of testimony. The biggest situation that day was to decide whether or not to suppress Bernie's confession. Because he had, they did have the confession and they read it aloud that day when they were listening to testimony. He states that that day that the shooting happened, that there had been no particular problems that day between the both of them. They were getting ready to go out of town, and they were packing to go to Longview. And they were going to go run some errands, have some lunch. And uh, she was sitting in the garage on, like, a upside-down milk crate. And she was, like, going through something, preparing, you know, for them to go out of town. And... All of a sudden, he looked at his life and saw that this is what my life's going to be like because I can't get away from her. So he says he looks at her and all these thoughts are going through his head about how this is how I'm going to be until she dies. This is how life's going to be. And I, I can't do this another day. So he picks up the rifle and he shoots her four times. He drags her from the garage into the kitchen, and he wraps her in a land's end sheet mm -hmm. and puts her in the freezer. He makes room and puts her in there, and then he goes and gets the garden hose, and he washes the blood off the garage floor and goes to Longview without her. He sweeps up. I read that he cleaned the blood from the garage, from the garage floor. Swept up the shell casings with the leaves, threw them in the trash, mm -hmm. and leaves. Yep, and he said that he he loved her even though life with her had been like being in a prison to some degree and he was being smothered, that he never had a premeditated notion ever to kill her and that despite that it seemed premeditated to some because he 
stood there. He didn't like go into a rage. He just just he looked at it and was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not doing this. No, nope, mm. I'm not doing this. I this is my only way out." I can't imagine that being your. And then only... shot her in the back, and then so his confession says that, but then the medical examiner said something different. The and he said that at of the four shots, two of them were shot at point blank range. And there were some um, muzzle burns. Oh, that means it was on her skin. So he shot her twice from a distance. He believes the first one was the furthest away. Then at, then he starts walking towards her, shoots a second time, then puts the muzzle of the gun against her and shoots two more times. Because mm-hmm. they were all in a cluster. He'd been practicing on the armadillos. Yeah, little bitty armadillos, so he knew how to shoot close together. I mean, in comparison to a human. Right. You know, I mean. So, obviously having the confession is not good for the defense. Right. Because he's admitting to doing it. Especially when there's no defense about it. Like, they don't have any defense to say, well, this is why he did it. Right. You know, there's something else going on. It's just, yeah, he did it. So, because of that... He's trying to find any little uh, cracks that he can. So he's trying to make it sound like they didn't really get his confession legally. Legally. Um, so they, he's saying, well, you know, he didn't sign an authorization. He didn't get to talk to his attorney before he made the confession. They didn't get Bernie to sign an authorization before they searched his house. Uh, Bernie did say he wasn't given a chance to call his attorney. But then, of course, prosecution said, well, we have six witnesses to show that he did make the statement voluntarily and was asked repeatedly if he was waiving his right to silence. Bernie said he only made the confession after one of the investigators returned from Bernie's house and said they found the unchristian-like videotapes when they did a search, which he said he only allowed them to search because they told him they could get a search warrant. So at this point, he's like, well, they're going to get a search warrant anyway. Okay, just go ahead and search. Mm -hmm. They found the tapes, looked at him, and said, all right, well, now we've got this. Even though that has nothing to do with murdering someone. No, but I mean, he's embarrassed. He doesn't want anybody to see it. So he's like, okay, fine. At this point, I think he's just trying to get I know, I just think that's really awful because... It would be different if he was having sex with underage kids or if he was doing something illegal in the video, I could understand. But what a man does with his own pleasurable side of his life is not anyone's business. Yeah, none of this and was even illegal. Though, no, that's, Nothing on the- that's wrong of them to use that as a way to pry information out of him. So he, they were like, well, how did he get in the house? How did the officers get in the house? And he said, well... I didn't want him to bust the door down, so he gave him the key. (laughs) He's too nice. Poor Bernie. Poor guy. So Jeter was saying, he was talking about the conversations that he and Bernie were having before they went and uh, found the tapes. He said Bernie told him that he had been sitting in the jail cell all day thinking about the Bible and said he had done something wrong and would have to pay for his sins. And so while he's sitting there talking about the Bible and the sins, that's when he confessed and said, I shot her. And then we've got the rest of his confession. He said, I felt like I have done the world a favor. By killing her? Mm-hmm. He said she was a very mean, mean person and she did not like anyone. He also said that Nugent told him if she died, she wanted him to take all of her money and run. She didn't say 
put a bullet in my back, put four bullets in my back, and then go spend my husband's fortune. She did not say that. No. Now they have a new trial date set for February 1st, and they have to move it, and they're moving it to San Augustine, which is 45 minutes south of Carthage, and it's a bigger city, so they're hoping the bigger city, different location, maybe we'll get lucky and get a jury. Obviously, judge the judge is like, yeah, no, we're not going to suppress his confession. The jury's going to hear it. That's that's how they it's didn't pick be. their judges out of a Tupperware. This this is the Tupperware judge, Judge Griffin. Looking through all these articles in the newspaper, so at the end of '98, there's a I, it came up because Bernie is mentioned in this article, but the headline is Texas struggles through another wacky year. <laughs> so. I wanted to read some of the other things that happened in Texas in 98, just to kind of bring us back to what was going on in that time. Besides Bernie, who was in this story, in Sulphur Springs, an escapee from jail thoughtfully telephoned authorities to let them know he was okay. Because <laughs> they were really worried about him. Right. A burglary suspect, Gary Davis, slipped away from work detail, then called a jailer the following night to assure folks he had no hard feelings. <laughs> in Houston, a gold medalist sued her sued for independence from her parents, alleging they squandered her earnings on risky investments. How dare they? Can you believe that? Also, also in Fort Worth, aka Cowtown, rounded up a small herd of Longhorns and began driving them through the historic Stockyards District to amuse curious tourists. And I quote. I don't care what people say. We're still a cow town, and we should have cattle that people can come and see. So in 98 was the first time they did the Longhorns going through the downtown Fort Worth. Very cool. So I thought that was a little good tidbit of information. So now we're in January of 99. This is an interesting story, too. A little bit more of a sidebar. Evidently, Mr. Davidson's wife, Diane, pleaded no contest to making alcohol available to a minor. Tis, tis, Diane. The district attorney's wife. Uh, so they're saying this stemmed from a Halloween party that was attended by their college-age daughter. Diane is quoted as saying, There were a lot of people out there. There were quite a few conflicting stories as to what transpired out there, but she wouldn't be very specific. And She can't be. Her role in that wasn't... The only thing she would say was that the party occurred in a remote location. That's a good way to start the year. Poor Mr. Davidson. He's having a hell of a time. February of 99, they're trying to pick a new jury. And evidently there were some plea bargain negotiations, but those fell through. So no plea bargains. So then they finally get a jury. Took nine hours. The only people family related that were at there for Bernie was his aunt and uncle. John and Millie Compton, which I hadn't really heard about them up until now. His sister wasn't there? Only family was his aunt and uncle. That's sad. And then some spectators. Obviously, the prosecution is saying that greed motivated him to kill her. Davidson told the jurors that Bernie shot her in the back four times and hit her body in the freezer for nine months because he was looting her multi-million dollar assets. Not her assets. Girl, her assets, for sure. And, of course... Defense attorneys denying that money had anything to do with the killing. I mean, I can kind of agree with that. I mean, yeah. he had access to it regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. he did. And, and as far as he knew, he, like you said, he was in the will, so it was his already. So mm-hmm. he, I don't think he was doing, spending the money in a shady way, even though there's a little bit of shady business going on mm-hmm. with the boot scooting place and 
But he did do good things with it. I'm not defending him, but I'm just saying, in his mind, he didn't see that spending her money was wrong, even though she was dead in the freezer. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a good decision. I think he thought it was his, because it's in the will, so it's his. Um, Holmes also stated from the evidence, um, he was trying to show how the pressure increased, and all of the pressure with her being so demanding, and like you said, he came to a crossroads in his life, and... They're saying he just snapped. Uh, Miss Nugent became so demanding that she even asked him to quit his job so that she could have him all to herself. (laughs) Mr. Holmes was quoted as saying, Bernie Tito was like a kite without a string. You're going to find his mind was like a bowl of spaghetti. Oh my God. That's his attorney saying that. I would be so offended. Me too. And of course they say again, if convicted, he gets 99 years and... Only $10,000 in fines. How is that possible? Um, and is he going to pay that with her money or his? Considering That's it's all question. her money. How do you... Dis- There's really no way to differentiate that at this no. point, right? Because no. he's been... I, I guess, though, you have to differentiate his salary because he was working for her. But how do you figure that out? Like, I yeah. don't know. That I'm glad I'm not an accountant or anything like that. So then now they're talking about the people that come in and testify... Uh, one of their friends from, from Shreveport, Shreveport uh, testifies about being witness to an inappropriate kiss. So he said his name is Robert Evans, and he was having lunch with Marjorie one day at her house. They were suddenly interrupted by Bernie, who leaned over and planted an inappropriate smooch on her. Inappropriate by? Well, to him it felt inappropriate. Inappropriate by him, not by her. No, not by her, by him, okay. by the, the, the friend, Robert. Bernie and Marjorie didn't seem, he just felt like it was inappropriate. And he said even now, especially now, he realizes that the kisses were part of his manipulation of Marjorie. Also, Angela Rowe, who was, she testified, uh, remembering an incident in which Bernie brushed up against Nugent with his body in a way that she didn't think was appropriate. I love how everybody in this town says how things should and shouldn't be and how relationships should and shouldn't be. You know, like, it's, I understand it's a small town. We have a lot of them in Texas. But how you perceive another person or how you feel about another person should not be decided by the town that you live in. Well, and how many of these witnesses are just people that wanted to just inject their opinion on people? Yeah, here's my two cents. Right. Oh, I can be on the stand. Maybe I'll be on TV. And who's going to say that that even happened? Right. There's not even any proof that any of that's true. Although this part you mentioned earlier that she said Bernie frequently left cards and letters mm-hmm. for Marjorie and even placed some of them on her pillow. Uh, the other thing she testified to was uh, she remembered a shopping trip to Longview where Marjorie was taking a trip with Bernie, but she went to Longview to do some shopping for clothes for the trip to New York. And she said she purchased some lingerie. She was 75 at this time, and it wasn't the kind of lingerie a 75-year-old woman would wear. I wouldn't think my grandmother should wear it. I'm sorry, are you 75? No. no. So what do you know? She what can do you... wear whatever the hell she wants to you wear. You can wear lingerie at, like, 30, I don't want to think of my 50, grandmother wearing 70. lingerie, but that doesn't mean that she didn't. Well, and that doesn't mean that she's going to have sex with him. Maybe she is comfortable in lingerie. Maybe she likes to sleep in it. Maybe she likes to wear it under her dresses. What business is it of yours? Exactly. Some of the stuff I read just really, really pissed me off. Okay, so now we're down to uh, the testimony of the officer who found her in the freezer. He said that he um, opened the freezer, 
pushed the food back and saw her head. And the only reason that they searched the freezer was because of the granddaughter saying, hey, let's, she saw that she saw the masking tape on the lid. And that's what drew her attention over there. Besides the fact that her grandmother always cleaned out her freezer before she left. And while they're, so they're showing photos of Marjorie's body still in the freezer onto this large screen in the courtroom. And of course, Bernie's crying. He wasn't looking at the photos. He's looking down, but he's crying as they're talking through what they're showing. And that was the last thing that was shown that day before the jury was dismissed. So, oh, that, that's the kind of stuff that you don't unsee. Like, you know, I try not to look at crime scene photos. Sometimes I come up and I look and like I, like right now, the ones that I've looked at are flashing yeah, through my head. Yeah, me too. You can't, once you've seen them. You can't unsee it. You can't. So. Especially because it's not something that you see all the time. You know, you don't open your freezer to a gray-headed woman yeah. when you're trying to get your Ben and Jerry's. Or your turkey. Whatever you whatever you want to get out of there. Um, and so now they have a videotape of Marjorie's body being lifted out of the freezer. Mm-hmm. And they're going to show that to the jury. So they're, they're showing it. And several jurors turned their faces away. And three people were crying. And of course now Holmes filed an objection saying, this is macabre. We shouldn't be showing this. He's saying prosecution only showed it to, to um, sway the jury and is quoted as saying, Stephen King couldn't have done it any better. <laughs> I don't know. I think the jury needs to see it. It's the raw truth. That, that's true. You know, because the more that you cover up, when I say cover up, meaning that you purposely don't allow it into evidence, then you're not letting that part well, the I mean, they already see seen part. pictures of her dead body. They know she was in the freezer. He confessed. I think the point is, what what does that add that you don't already know? That I think it makes it a more realization that she was frozen. Okay. Like, we're going to pull this woman out, and she's going to hold the shape she was in. Mm-hmm. And now we have to wait two days for her to thaw out. Yeah. It shows, That's like, a good point. the extent and the malice, malice, malice <laughs> of what he did, you know? Like, it's one thing if he shot her and left her, right? Yeah. And they would, they would show the crime scene, right? They would That's show true. her bloody body. But the freezer is the crime scene. It is, and I, you're it's right. It's part of the crime scene, I guess, because the garage is the other part Yeah. where he shot her. So the medical examiner testified that she did die of four gunshot wounds that hit her heart, lungs, and spine. And she was curled up in a fetal position and then covered with the bedspread. Now, we know it's a Land's End sheet, but this says bedspread. And the, uh, again, it took them two days for her freezer-burned body. So her body was freezer-burned as well oh, to thaw out before they could perform the autopsy. Uh, the Emmy is quoted as saying that her body was hard as a rock. Uh, and then Bernie cried when they, the prosecutors had a videotape of Nugent's home. And it looks like he was going to cry when they showed photos of her autopsy. How <laughs> crazy would it have been if he shot her and thought she was dead and then put her in the freezer and then they thought out and she woke up? Oh my God, that would be crazy. And she's like, I'll tell you, that motherfucker did it. <gasps> he shot me. shot me right in the back. So while all this evidence is being presented, he's keeping his head down and keeping his eyes on the desk. He doesn't want to look. Okay, and so now, now there's testimony of... All of the lies that he told about where she was. Mm -hmm. So now people are coming and saying, she was over here. She was over there. She wasn't there. And so her cousin, which you have some information on her cousin as well, right? Ruth. Mm -hmm. She was your favorite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ruth was very suspicious. And she, she gets on the stand and says, I was afraid to go to anyone because 
if I was wrong, I would have been laughed out of Carthage. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's he told her about the Mayo Clinic that she he was she was at the Mayo Clinic in Nashville and it's in Minnesota. So she was very suspicious, but because of his reputation, she didn't think anybody would believe her, mm-hmm. and she didn't really have any proof. The former housekeeper described some clothes that Bernie had picked out for Nugent on one of their first trips to New York, and she said the clothes were extravagant and flashier than Nugent had ever worn, worn before. But like you said about the lingerie, what what does that matter? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're in a new relationship with somebody and they like certain things, you're going to d- change a couple of things. It doesn't mean you're changing who you are. You're growing. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. you like this? I've never tried that. Oh, okay, that's cool. So I don't think that's a big deal, but they... They've made it into a big deal. And of course, you know, people are also saying, you know, she talked about how she loved him and that how she didn't know what she would do without him. Mm-hmm. So so then, of course, he's found guilty. It took the jury less than one hour to return the verdict, and he showed zero reaction. He actually ends up getting life sentence for the murder. And there, um, as, as he was being escorted out of the courthouse, there were... So many supporters outside with We Love You Bernie posters mm-hmm. that they were having. They It took them longer than normal to get him in the car and get him over to the jail because there were so many people basically saying, whether you did it or you didn't you and you were me? accused or wrongly accused, we still love you. Which is really crazy because he took someone's life. Mm-hmm. You know, he took, despite how salty she may have been, he took he took her from many people's lives, including his own. In March, they um, his attorney filed a motion for a new trial because he's got, like, all these reasons why he feels like uh, Bernie needed a new trial. He was saying that one of the attorneys on the prosecution wasn't really authorized to prosecute criminal actions on behalf of the state of Texas, so he wasn't qualified. He was saying that the defense attorneys weren't able to fully examine Dr. Myers, who was a psychiatrist who testified against Bernie during the punishment phase, they don't believe the videotape of her body being removed from the freezer should have been shown to the jury. They, he also stated that the jury engaged in misconduct, but there were no details as to what that meant. Um, they didn't. He didn't think the confession should have been allowed as evidence. And then a hearing on the request at that point hadn't been scheduled. I don't and know the, how, why he thinks the confession shouldn't be part of it. Because he felt like it was coerced. He felt like they did it. I mean, he's the defense attorney and he's just trying to find yeah. any way... To, to like make that, it look like That's like the like second time we've heard that. Yeah. Oh, they said they did it? Yeah, we're going to throw that out. Right. I like they didn't say that. This is an interesting thing. So the movie comes out. Everybody goes and watches a big hit. And, of course, the town is also torn again. Like, half the town thinks it's great. This is great. We got all this, you know, more attention. It's been out of the limelight for a while. But then the other half is like, we don't need this. He did it. We don't want to make him out to be a hero. In 2014... He was released due to some new evidence of sexual abuse from his uncle. So after the movie came out, this attorney went to the producer of the movie and said, can I have all of your, all of the case files that you have from the trial? And he said, sure. So he gives them to her. Well, in there, she finds where Bernie was talking about how his uncle abused him as a child. Because she knew that there had to be some something in his past to cause him to snap. Because she couldn't imagine that someone that good could just be like, yes, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to shoot this person and now I'm good again. Right? Yeah. She figured there had to be something in his past that allowed him to temporarily snap or be able to do what he did. Well, and she was really frustrated because 
the police confiscated four books on child abuse. Yes, I have. And that. she was like, why, number one, why did they confiscate these? Like, what, what relevance is it? And number two, why does he have these? Because the only person that's going to have books on childhood sexual abuse is someone who either plans to abuse sex- mm-hmm. sexually abuse children or was sexually abused. So either they're, they don't want to go down the same path or they want to go down they're the same path. They're trying to figure it out. Yeah. So sh- that intrigued her. So did, yeah. she went to the prison and she interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And he admitted that he had endured years of molestation as a boy by his uncle, which like you mentioned in the beginning that he, he lived, lived with, with his uncle when his father passed away and his stepmother left. She bailed. Yeah. Which is, I guess, why he took so much initiative and in wanting to be able to take care of himself so he wouldn't have to depend on him, especially if he was being abused. Yeah. You want to get out of that situation as quickly as you can. His ability to repress and compartmentalize the abusive events from childhood and adolescence was ultimately overwhelmed by the repeated and extensive psychological abuse that he suffered from Miss Nugent. And Bernie told him that Nugent had some unpleasant comments about one of his friends a couple of days prior to the shooting. And he said that he had kind of lost control of his emotions and his behavior for the two days leading up. Um, that he had experienced a psychological disassociative experience where he felt as if he were floating outside his body when he shot her, which is very similar to the Betty Gore case mm-hmm. where she says, like, she was just trying to get out of that situation, right? She mm-hmm. was just, she just kind of did it, and then she went on about her day just very like he similar. did. Very similar, you're right. So after the findings, district attorney asks a previous psychiatrist, Edward Grippen, who had testified at the first trial mm-hmm. and cleared him of competency and was like, what the hell's going on? This sec- this appellate judge goes and finds this this psychiatrist. He goes and finds all this information out, and you tell me he was competent to stand trial. So he reads it, and he's like, uh, I changed my opinion. He did have an, a dissociative episode that day of the murder. So he's like, what the hell? Like, I yeah, trusted you. You can't just change your mind like that after all these years. Now you read a second opinion, and you're recanting what you say? So a motion was filed for a new sentencing hearing with the state district court stating that if the jurors knew the evidence of his past sexual Mm -hmm. abuse and how Nugent made him feel, then they would see it was not premeditated, which would lead to a lesser sentence. Right. Because if it had had not been considered premeditated, he may have gotten up to 20 years. He would have still gone to jail. He just wouldn't have gotten as much time. But I think um, the district attorney said that the maximum was 20 years. So at this point, he'd already served 16 years and nine months. So he may have been able to be out on probation or on mm-hmm. parole at this point. So at this point, the DA becomes a little sugary and not so salty. Right. I, I did notice that he changed his tune he, after he got that information. He felt really bad for yeah, him and said, you know, did. this sentence wasn't right for him. And mm-hmm. I, I feel bad that he was given this time. So in May of 2014, the judge sets aside uh, Bernie's original life sentence and allowed him to go free on bond. So he tells him, all right, free bird, go ahead, spread your wings, you're good, until the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals decided whether a new sentencing trial should be convened or if they could be able to do it between the judges. So he's out. And you know how long he's out for? Two years. Do you know where he was during that time? Yes. Well, tell us where, tell me where he was living during this time. He moved to Austin yeah. and moved in behind the producer and director of the movie 
he moved in behind his house. Mm-hmm. And Linklater befriended him, and that's where he lived for two years in yep. Austin. And members of the Nugent family obviously were furious, yeah. stating that the DA changed his mind due to the movie and the celebrities in the movie because mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey is in it, Jack Black, and Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. So they felt like, oh, you, you, you just did this because the movie was really good and you want to get credit from them. And um, he told them, no, my job is to follow evidence wherever it may lead. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So the appellate court agreed he did need a new sentence um, trial and the DA recused himself. And said he recused himself because the Nugent family filed a motion alleging he had a conflict of interest. Yep. Since he, and he tried probably the first, did. yeah, especially because it's been so many years. Mm-hmm. I think a new set of eyes and ears is better. Yep. So the prosecution for the state took over the case. They found a lot of evidence that had not been shown at the original trial. They thought Bernie was a con man and had stolen money from Nugent the entire time that he knew her. That he murdered her. Because he was about to get caught. Yeah. yeah. He, to keep his thievery from That was exposed. their theory. That was the prosecution. They so knew. the judge moved the trial to East Texas town of Henderson, mm-hmm. hoping that it would become an impartial jury because even still in Carthage and around the area, it was still, still very well known, even though it had been 16 years, or at this time, almost 18 years, mm-hmm. people still knew about it. So April of 2016 is when they have the next trial. So he's been out free for two years. He joined the choir. He had the same exact life yep. in Austin that he had in Carthage. So he's remained who he was. Doing Nothing changed. Thing. Taking care of people, um, cooking for people, cleaning, living his life. So they described him as a gray, gray-haired Bernie walked in mm-hmm. with his pet parakeet. I saw that too. And a lot of people asked him as he was walking in, but he told them that he couldn't do an interview due to the terms of his bond. So he was out on bond for two years, but they told him, you cannot make a penny. You cannot do any interviews. You can't be on any TV shows. You cannot allow publicity to go on if anything that you start. So if you're out somewhere and somebody comes up to you, you can't start talking to them and do an interview. You have to you have to say nothing That's and keep walking. That's what caused all of the commotion and problem with the previous trial. Too many people knew too much about it, formed their opinion, and you couldn't change it. So the trial lasted for three weeks wow. with 80 witnesses, both psychiatrists on the stand stating their opinion of no premeditation. Uh, witnesses spoke about the time that he was free for the last two years, that he worked for nonprofit groups seeking to improve conditions for prison inmates because being in prison for 16 years, mm-hmm. he wanted better things for them because he had been in those shoes. He was a member of a men's choir in Austin. For Christmas every year, he dressed as Santa at the Methodist church and passed out presents to children that he purchased himself with whatever money he had. And he did go to um, see a therapist once a week to talk about his problems. Um, He did no drugs. He didn't drink and didn't break any laws during the, that, the two years he was out. The prosecution presented witnesses who stated that Nugent was sweet and shy and the real Bernie was money-hungry and very manipulative. Uh, one of the witnesses stated they overheard Bernie on the phone with a woman in Louisiana where he had worked at a funeral home who was asking him to return money that she had loaned him. And they felt he left Louisiana because he got himself in a similar situation. Oh, see, I didn't read that. But it didn't involve murder. And so he had basically gotten himself in too deep where he had borrowed money here and there and he wasn't paying it back. 
another one said he abruptly moved from Louisiana amid rumors that some funds went missing from a funeral home that he was a director of. So there shows some, again, it could be rumors, could be right. false, could be people just trying to get ahead. A financial investigator was one of the people from uh, on the stand from the Attorney General office stating that during the nine years with Nugent, at least $3 million have been transferred from her accounts. And he did invest some of the money in ventures, but he didn't invest all the money. He kept some for himself. And that he appeared he faked multiple deposit slips to make her think he was putting money back into her accounts. And he had forged other financial documents to make it seem as if the investments were profiting. And so that's why it was so hard for them to find money because some documents showed him making Lots tons of money. of money, but there was actually no real money to back that up. So on paper, she thought he was investing not only her money, but his money when really he wasn't making anything. He was just spending it. Damn it, Bernie. So his lawyers argued that Nugent had made it clear that she wanted him to spend her money however and whenever he wanted. And she told a friend she was happy with Bernie and hoped that they would spend every dime of her wealth before she died and she would leave any for her son who was a retired Dallas physician, which mm -hmm. we know ended up being a Emmy. Right? Yep. On the last day, the prosecution calls up Michael Arambula. He was a San Antonio psychiatrist and he interviewed Bernie weeks before the trial. And he compared... Before the second trial? Correct. Okay. What he showed the defense, he painted a very different picture. He stated he could find no connection between the boyhood sexual abuse and the murder. Oh, wow. He believed that Bernie, quote, seemed to have gotten over his episodes of sexual abuse. He stated that with Nugent, there were some tensions and some problems, but didn't appear to closely resemble domestic violence. Nor did he feel the murder was the result of a sudden passion or a snapped episode. He felt it was a result of Bernie's cumulative intolerance of Nugent. He stated Bernie exhibited signs of narcissism and antisocial personality. He concluded that there was no guarantee that Bernie would not engage in duplicitous behavior again. Oh, wow. That and was that was what they that. ended with. So they have two... You have one psychiatrist that like kind of goes with the flow apparently and saw nothing wrong with Bernie in the previous. Mm -hmm. And you have another therapist or a psychiatrist that says, oh no, there's trauma, there's problems. And then the first one changes his mind. Now the third one is like, there's no correlation between these two events. He's over it. He's past it. Well, but I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not acting like I know everything, but I just have a simple question. How do you know that the timing of your, when he met with Bernie, a couple of weeks before the second trial, maybe he worked through the stuff from the time of the murder happened to then. Yeah. Like, well, how do you know when he worked through it? You can't absolutely. assume he worked through it before he killed her. I agree. He might not have worked through it at that point. He worked through it now, but he's, he's had a lot of time to sit in that cell and think about what he did. And he was seeing a psychiatrist yeah. every week. So for, for two years. Every so of course week. he'd work through it. So yeah. I don't even think that that's even a, a fair statement because you don't know at what point did he work through them. You can't, you can't guarantee, or maybe he can. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to tell at what point in your life did you work through it. He worked through it now, well, obviously. The life he lived on the two years he was free is no different than the life he lived when he was around Nugent. His life was the same. Well, he, but he, in the sense that he was helping his, right. his life, 
he went and started a new life in Austin that was just an extension of Carthage. It was similar. I mean, he so, didn't work for a, a funeral home or anything. He volunteered at one. Okay. I mean, he didn't work there, but he volunteered there. Yeah. He he did the he flowers. Knew. Yeah. But it's not like he went and worked through his episodes and then was a completely different person. So I feel like who he was in Carthage is who he was in Austin. Yeah. He would just move locations. Um, but he didn't testify at this trial either. Yeah. The jury deliberated for four hours, and what do you think they said? I think they said it wasn't premeditated. No, they said he was guilty. Oh, well, because of that last statement from that last... I'm sure, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, timing is everything, right? Yeah. If that's the last thing... If that had been the first thing they heard, it might not have been so... And I'm sure the prosecution did that on purpose. Yeah. Like, let this be the last thing that they hear before yeah. they go deliberate, right? One of Nugent's granddaughters gets up and gets to read a victim statement. And she chews him out, which I don't blame her. Choose her, her... She chews Bernie out. Okay. And he never looks up from the table, ever. He never makes eye contact with her. And she says to him, in one quote, You took my grandmother's life, and you stole her money. You, sir, are nothing to me. They go and interview Mr. Davidson, right, about this last finding. And um, <laughs> I love this quote. He says... It's just hard for me to believe that that old Bernie could fire a gun straight. He acts well, you know, effeminate. You can tell he has never been deer hunting a day in his life. And that's how he knows he'd really done this to this woman because he's effeminate. So he obviously doesn't know how to shoot a gun. He's um, a judge. I mean, he's, you know, he's a district attorney. Yeah. 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 So... <laughs> What do you think? Do you think that he should have stayed in jail like he did? Or do you think that he should have? I think he should have stayed in jail. I mean, I, I, I think he needs to be in jail. I mean, he, he took someone's life, went on about his day right after that. You know, he went on like nothing happened. I mean, at least he confessed and didn't write, try to make it look like someone else did it or whatever. He owned it. But I do believe that maybe he did snap because of what happened to him with his uncle. I'm sure it felt similar and that he was being controlled in a way that he didn't want to be controlled, even though it wasn't sexual in nature. Uh, and maybe she did make sexual advances to him. I'm, we don't know. Maybe she made him do stuff that he didn't want to do. And maybe that's when he snapped, you know? But I think he deserves to be in jail, but I don't really think he's... Like, I don't, I don't think, think he's, he's as bad as what they're put, making yeah. him to be. I mean, he killed somebody. He well, and if you notice... Life, and it was cold. It was... It was he left her in the freezer and went on about his life and acted like she wasn't there. That, that's no one deserves that. No, and I don't. I don't think he was malicious, or he. I don't think that he's a mean spirited in the person that he did it because he wanted to be evil. Like I don't feel like he. In my opinion, I don't think that he was. I mean, obviously he killed her, which is evil mm -hmm. but um i don't think he did it to get her money or that he did it because he wanted to spend her money with i don't think it had anything to do with the money because I, I mean it was he, more about the he knew he was going to get it anyway but i think also he knew that the only way that they would part is if she died i think he knew like this is never going to end and it's only going to get worse because she's going to get older and she's going to get sicker and i if i think i'm at her beck and call now what's going to happen later her family wants nothing to do with her. She wants nothing to do with her family. So I just don't, I, I can't do this. And it, I mean, 
it seems like he was a patient person. So I, I guess I don't, I don't understand why he didn't just wait it out. I don't either. You know, I mean, granted, it's not the best life. Or but if he's that, it, but he, it's the choice he made. Like he could have left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, but he chose not to. Mm-hmm. So he's got to take responsibility for that decision. You you don't want to leave her alone, but I think they could have at his second trial said, you know, yes, you did this and it was wrong. Um, I mean, he had two years where he could have started the same behavior. He didn't go looking for more widows, and as far as he knew, he was gonna not go back to jail. Mm-hmm. He was making a life a, a different. He so was hoping anyway. I would have been fine or I would have been pleased if maybe they said, we'll take your time served and you have, you're on parole for the next 10 and years. you can't work anywhere where there are widows or... Yep. And we are going to be watching every dollar mm-hmm. you spend. We're on your back. I feel like... That would have been okay with it, you. Yeah. And I think it would have been a safe world um, because at this point he's older. So now he's kind of... Li- going into that role that Miss Nugent was in where he's becoming an older person. And maybe he learned. I just a think lesson. that I wish You don't think he would have repeated it. You don't no. think he would have killed again? No. Especially cuz so it wasn't malicious. You know, if he had and he wasn't it wasn't heinous in nature. Like yeah, he shouldn't have put her in the freezer, but he could have it would have been more upsetting for me if he dumped her on the side of the road somewhere. Yeah. You know, but he put her in a sheet and he put her in the freezer in her home. And I believe he had every intention of giving her proper burial. I do believe that. I feel like he was like, no, I'm going to put her where she needs to be. Until I figure out what my I, next move is. And then and just then got high I think on life spending happened. money. Well, and I think he's like, well, shit, like, I can't just walk out of here with a body, right? And I think he was like, meh, I'll just see how long I, I get away with it. And I think time just went away. Because I know in the, in the document or in the interview... 48 hours he said i was so relieved when they yeah. came, when they finally caught me I because it was like was so a huge to confess weight was lifted off my mm-hmm. shoulders because now the secret was out of the bag and now he could move on with his life anymore. you know yeah. so i don't consider him as a really really i mean yes he took a life he shot her in the back four times two of them at point blank range i don't know if i believe it had a lot to do with his past i just think that i i don't know if i believe that completely and it may, it may have had some bearing on why he felt so imprisoned. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was the sole reason and the sole culprit of what led to him shooting her. I think he felt trapped more than anything. Yeah. But he was more threatened and scared in being trapped because of his past. I think it played a card, but it wasn't the main. And, and you know, we say we said earlier that we didn't think it was about the money. But I think a little bit it was about the money, which is why I don't think he would leave. Because he, he, he could have gone and worked back for the funeral home. But now that he had a taste of what it was like to have a lot of money, I don't think he wanted to let go of that. But he wasn't going to let go of it. Because, I mean, he had so much of her money. Well, but he knew But he knew once his her family found out, they were going to take the money away. I'm sure he knew that. How did he not know that? She wasn't going to give the family anything. But the family didn't give a shit. The family said, you killed... you. When you killed no, no, her? I'm saying before, but the whole reason why she, why he killed her, I don't think he killed her had anything to do with the money. No, 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 but I think he felt trapped. He didn't want to leave before. You know, I said he could have just left before mm-hmm. he killed her, but he knew that if he left, he she would have taken him out of her will. But he had so much money already. I mean, he he had enough money at that point. That even if he left, he still would have had to work for some yeah. time. I would have just taken what I had and left. left I mean, the he city, had this business this, at the Carthage. boot barn, whatever. 
he had the trophy shop and he had the aviation company. I mean, yeah, he, but he wouldn't have been able to live there. He wouldn't have been able to stay in that town if he had left her. No, but she I mean, would have he, made it he, a living. He could have left, him. but those places still would have made money. Yeah. But he he could have he could have just disappeared one day and she wouldn't have known where he went and he still would have had money. Mm-hmm. It would have been different if he was taking it and she didn't know. Yeah. I mean, he was taking some of it, but a lot of it he was in he was investing some of it, and who knows how much cash he had under his mattress? We don't know. Yeah. You know, so <sighs> poor Bernie T D T T. Tita. 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 Damn. It's so hard to say his name right. The first time I read it, I was like, Bernie Tidi. That's what it is. <laughs> T-I-D. So um, this story was came from a suggestion from a guy we work I work with named Charles. So thanks for the suggestion, Charles. And if you guys, are there any cases that you hear of you want us to mm-hmm. do, just let us know. Yeah. Rest in peace, you salty old Nugent. <laughs> Frozen Nugent. <laughs> That's it. That's, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. Is that a wrap, producer? 47 minutes on that one. Bye, y'all. Case file number 07. Marjorie Nugent. Closed. <laughs> <laughs>